Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, please welcome in Dennis Williams, who is the creator of the transformational finance application CashMap. Having worked with a mortgage business, he saw firsthand how the financial system profits off of consumers' financial ignorance, and he's on a mission to change that. Now, Dennis helps people understand how banks use our money to make more money and how we can take advantage of that same methodology to create personal wealth through leverage debt. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Dennis. And without further ado, please welcome in Dennis Williams. Dennis, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, Brian. Well, thanks for coming along and sharing a lot of your insight that you've acquired over the years and the experiences you've had. And obviously, we're gonna, I, I have a feeling we're going to spend a lot of time on finance and personal finance and you know, talking through money and those type of things. But as I always like to start off, because I think it's so unique with the Just Get Started podcast, right? So many folks don't aren't doing what they're doing today, you know, that they thought they were doing 20 years ago or 30 years ago, right? We all adapt, we all change and, and those type of things. So I, I'm actually curious to start with this question. When did you actually get interested in money and finance? Did that start from a really early age or was that something that kind of spawned? Was there a turning point that happened in your life where you're like, wait a minute, let me veer down this path. That's way better for me. Well, that's a really interesting question. Um, when I was in seventh grade, they, they, we had a class in which they taught us about the stock market. Hmm. And they talked about the whole thing of, of just the randomness of it. And, and so we ended up, um, the class having to be given X amount of dollars and, uh, and and deciding what we were going to buy and sell and and to see what we would end up accruing as far as um, you know value. Um, I was one of the best performers of the class in seventh grade. Um, I found it really intriguing. Hmm. Um, so that was kind of my first thing around interest in economics and and finance. I remember and. I did grow up in a family in which um, my father invested in stocks. He also invested in real estate. So from an early age, I was exposed to the idea of of not making money just by what you work, but putting your money to work for you and to see it grow. Um, I remember my dad talking about investing in uh, Madison Square Gardens uh, when it was first being built in New York. Um, and... Uh, Went to university, thought I was going to had interest in uh, going to med school, but I made a decision early on to um, uh, to get my MBA first and then go on to med school. Um, and so when I did that and I began the interview process, every single physician, I was actually, um, I actually applied to George Washington University. And when I got to the final phase of the interviews, um, the physicians that interviewed me all asked, why would you go and be a physician if you had an MBA? If we had our MBA, we would never be doctors. 
And I thought that was certainly rather peculiar. And ultimately, I didn't get in. Um, but I also realized from going through the interview process, I wanted to have a larger impact. And so um, I never reapplied again. And, um, and then um, while I went through graduate school at University of Hawaii, uh, Manoa, um, I worked at a trust company, a self-directed trust company, helping people with their assets and managing them. And I just kind of had this sense of, wow, this is a really cool service. It'd be really great if this was, this could be extended to be able to, you know, to kind of help folks who don't have a lot of money to be able to get there. So I, you know, I always had that sense of some of the skills involved in managing money wanted to be something that, that more people embrace to take advantage of. And then of course, lastly, when I was running a mortgage company in Kirkland, which is Washington, which is just outside of, of Seattle, um, or actually right near Microsoft land, uh, meeting an account manager from an Australian bank who came in one day and said, how would you like to show your clients how they can pay off their mortgage in half the time without changing their spending and the interest rate doesn't matter? And by that time, of course, I had my MBA in finance and I, that, that question just really kind of turned me on my head. So those are some key points for me that just kind of moved me along. Well, and I want to, that last point, I definitely want to get into a little bit more. I'm curious to go back and, and I'm, I, I think about this because I, you know, I have a nine-year-old and I think about trying to teach him investing and, and the value of money and, you know, how, you know, you can't just go buy, you can't go buy video games or toys with all your money. You can't spend it all on that. So trying to teach him a little bit, but I also see there's a lack of this in school in terms of education and, and, and financial acumen and stuff. So I'm curious, going back to the, the stock um, thing you had in school, you mentioned, obviously, you had some knowledge from your dad, but like, did you, were you lucky to be able to do that well? Or was there like, so, like, how did you know what to pick at that age? Or like, why were you one of the top performers, I guess? But was it just like understanding the diversify? Like, I'm just curious of what you learned then as a child that maybe still applies today that's valuable. Um, I think there were two things that I kind of had p kind of knew or picked up on. Um, number one is the idea of, of knowing that you're not going to be right all the time. So one of the biggest mistakes people make that, that I've learned in investing is then you get into something because you just know you're right. You just, mm -hmm. you just know you're right. If you knew you were wrong, you wouldn't have done it. Well, you are going to be wrong. So when you are wrong, what are you going to do about it? And make that know what that is when you get in. So um, I, I, that, that was one. And the other one was I was always willing to take risk. So those are, those are probably the two things. So that when something didn't go right, then I just adjusted. Do you, and, do you think, um, well, do you think a risk, that's actually interesting you brought that up because I, I have a lot of discussions with folks about that because some risk when people think about that, it's almost like, Oh, I'm just going to random throw, throw spaghetti at the wall, see what six. But the reality is risk is there's assessment, there's decision-making, there's you're asking questions, you're going deeper, right? Would, could you share a little bit about like how you use risk to make informed decisions? Oh, sure. Um, I think there's, there's two things is, is again, first of all, if you're going to 
if, if you're going to make, if you're, if, when you're going to take a risk, you, of course, you're looking at making a calculated risk. And a, and a whole inherent definition of risk includes a loss. Hmm. Too many people, when they invest, they're looking at investing or, or, or they, they don't want to lose. So they, they're thinking that I got this figured out. I'm going to be right. Well, sometimes it's just timing, hmm. or sometimes you're just flat out wrong. But to go in and know that you may be wrong, and if you are wrong, what are you going to do? That's one. And second, um, I learned this in later years. Uh, there's a great book um, that I would say every uh, one of your listeners should hear. It's called Trading in the Zone. And and what that what that book is about, it basically is this, that if you are euphoric and you think you can't fall, well, that's the first step that you're going to fall because you just got sloppy. And on the other side of the coin, if you're too scared because you don't have the confidence, then you're going to miss on an opportunity because fear is preventing you from taking an action that you otherwise could have and should have done to take advantage of an opportunity. And so a good part of managing risk is, in fact, your mindset as relates to, and, and what they say, trading in the zone, what that means is, is you're not euphoric and you're not fearful. You, you follow rules. You, you create a set of rules and you follow them so you take the emotion out of it and you know what you're going to do before, it, before the situation happens so that when it happens, you've already sketched it out and so you just pull the trigger and follow your plan. You basically create systems versus just guessing for the most part, right? That's exactly right. You know? um, so, so that's one thing. The other thing, of course, is, again, if you're talking about in, uh, investments in equities, you are also, you know, I learned, I, I just kind of learned from professional traders that they risk no more than uh, what, what I call middle of the road one and a half percent of their total portfolio value in any one trade. Hmm. So conservative would be one percent. So in any given trade, they'll only lose they'll lose no more than one percent of their portfolio value. Now if they're planning on is a case in point wanting a risk to reward of three to one, well, if you end up if you end up having a couple of trades that you make that you hit your hit three and you end up losing on four, you're still up by two. Hmm. So even though the number of wins were less, the losses were even less. And so you're, you, you can afford to take losses. But those are just a couple of things that I've learned along the way as relates to being able to have the right attitude regarding managing risk. Well, and I mean, I guess even getting that position to take it and, and we can go down this rabbit hole as much as you want, but I see this a, a lot because I was, I was this person, right? I was in, I don't know what the, my peak 50, $60,000 of debt, you know, wasn't making a ton of money either. So I had a hard time paying it off. It took me like probably close to you know, eight, nine years, I think to get debt free. Um, but it was really conscious effort and, and making smart decision, which I didn't make a while before that. 
um, as my salary and stuff increase. So I get what I'm getting at is what would your coaching be? You talk about that mindset piece of actually getting to where someone's like, God, I have a lot of debt. I want to invest, but you know what you mentioned, it's like sometimes harder, I think for people to say, God, do I invest a hundred dollars here when that hundred dollars can help me pay off a credit card or do whatever. Is there any coaching you'd share? Um, oh yeah. Oh, big time. Big time. Um, you, you know, the biggest, the biggest word that nobody likes to hear Brian is the word budgeting. Because inherently in the word of budgeting, it means somebody's telling you what you can't do. Right? That's and a fair so, point. All right. Right? So, okay, I'll go with it. Okay, we're not going to use the word budgeting. So let's take a different approach. How do we go about creating a scenario of, of a savings mentality and not feel bad about it? And here's a simple tip as a part of what I do with people with coaching is I ask this question and, and I should say my coaching is all around one simple concept. And that is equip people to confidently strengthen their finances, to give them choices, freedom, um, security while mitigating risk and decreasing debt. I'm doing that all at the same time. So that being said, to be able to make that happen, the first question I ask is, tell me over the next 5, 10, 15 years, what are the events in your life that will bring you the greatest joy that if you don't, if you're not able to achieve it, you'll be upset with yourself? Now, most people I have found have never asked themselves that question. So we, we as individuals tend more than not to just kind of drift from day to day without a sense of purpose. But when I walk people through that process, help them price out what that looks like, prioritize it, have it visible, and now when they walk into a store and they see something that would be a spontaneous purchase that they'd love to do, now they say, am I willing to postpone that thing that I said was so important to me mm. versus stick to my plan because that's what's going to bring me the greatest joy? And as people begin to think that way, they begin asking questions like, oh, what, what else can I do to earn some more money? Or where I'm spending money, is that really giving me, is that really that important to me that I'm willing to, to postpone or put it another way? I want to accelerate the time frame so this thing that's going to bring me the greatest joy can happen sooner. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there's a mind switch. And... And now we're in a, in, a, in a mindset of being able to, to create a sustainable, motivated path to achieve what's, what's going to bring you the greatest joy. And then all of a sudden they're budgeting, but they don't know it. Well, and, and this, I mean, really, if I underscore kind of what you're saying is these are just creating new habits too, right? Because it's that, that thing in the distance, whatever that is, maybe it's a big trip or something they want to go on, that's a delayed gratification. When they're in the store... 
and I say they, I, mean, I do this sometimes, you're in the store, um, yeah, it's right there. So it's the instant gratification, but it's being able to delay that for a better future is really your, you got to create new habits on it, right? Oh, so that's, that's exactly what it is. And without feeling bad, I had a friend of mine, uh, she was born in Guatemala and extremely poor. And so one day she told me, she said, wow, Dennis, um, I go into a store and I see something I want and I know I shouldn't do it because it doesn't fit my budget. And then I hate that feeling that it gives me. Like it reminds me of what it was like when I was in poor in Guatemala. And when that reminds me of being poor in Guatemala, I just buy it. Because mm. I hated that feeling because I was so poor. Once I ran her through this mindset of, of the change, she was now able to say, yeah, I'm saying no, not because of what it was like when I was a little girl in Guatemala, but I know what I'm getting. I'm bringing my future into my present. So I'm not actually giving up anything because by me saying no, I'm going to get what I want sooner. Mm -hmm. And she said that was a total mind shift for her as far as being able to do that and feel good about it. One of the things I learned, um, and I, I, I don't know if you agree with this or not, or your stance on it from uh, from Ramit Sethi was around like having these categories, you know, for, so like the way I've set this up to make better decisions is health and wellness are huge for me. Um, so I like, and I'm not big in travel as an example, but I'll travel every once in a while, but I don't spend a ton of money traveling. But health and wellness, you know, that's why I have like a, a gym I built in my house. I do my CrossFit membership. I do all this stuff, you know, uh, food purchases. But I spend a good amount of money in that category because it's so important to me. But I, I make choices to your points. Like if I, that spontaneous buy, if I, if it's not in my category of like, okay, this one or two things are really important. It's, I, I kind of push it to the side because I'm like, I don't really need that. So I've kind of made up a decision in my mind that these things are important to me versus all of these others. Instead of having this, it's kind of the, the you know, I kind of take from Tim Ferriss, the decision that makes a thousand decisions, right? If I know, no, I'm not buying anything, you know, whatever, this related, insert whatever that is, I can't think of it at this time, then it's going to move on. Um, but if it is something, I can look at it. Do, do you agree kind of with that mentality? Do you have another thought on maybe how to structure it differently or? Yeah, well, I mean, that's in effect when I lay out the future with clarity. Mm -hmm. And I might also add, if you have a partner, you have them do the same thing so that you're now seeing priorities for both of you. And you can see what's getting your partner excited so you can actually integrate them versus what frequently happens where you'll have a saver and you'll have one who's the spender. The spender is going to say, they're not really a spender. They're just simply saying, look, I only, I only live once. And I don't want to be one of these elderly people that when, they, when I pass, my kids find $2 million under a mattress. And we weren't spending it on anything. Because when I ask you, what are we saving it for? You can't tell me. You're just saying, oh, we're supposed to do it because of the financial planner said so. Well, right. screw that. I'm only going through this once. So by being actually able to lay it out of, of in effect, to your point, the priorities and what it's going to take to get there, 
all of a sudden there's this crystal focus that now both partners are on the same page and they can actually become accountability partners with each other because they both want the same thing and they understand why. Mm-hmm. And and I've, I've seen people with their marriages come back and tell me, my marriage is better than it's ever been before because we're on the same page financially. I can think of, of at least one family who for the first time they actually put their finances together because they were now on the same page. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring it up. I, I didn't expect to go down this rabbit hole, but I'll ask you, what is your advice for folks on, so they're in a relationship or they're about to get married, um, of finances being separate or together or some hybrid system maybe you have? I'm curious your opinion on that. Well, I I tend to look at somebody's looking at getting married or having an extended relationship. Yeah. They're, they're, it's not like they interviewed each other on Craigslist to find somebody just to share an apartment with or a house. Right. So, so my my first point is is ask the question. And, and, and the challenge that people have is they never think of it, is what are the things that, that bring you the greatest joy? And, and, and see if they line up. Yeah. Because if they line up, then there's actually a synergy of supporting each other to get there because you're on the same page. You have the same passion. And I think we get ourselves in trouble because we don't ask those kinds of questions. And, uh, you know, it, 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 getting together has to be more than simply being able to um, share expenses and minimize tax liability. Well, you're, yeah, and you're um, right on that. Well, I think partly, and I've seen this happen a lot, where one, one partner makes a lot more money than the other coming into it. So generally, yeah. it's the one that doesn't make or the, the one that makes more money. It's kind of like, well, if we share it, it but I'm like, well, that's a, that aren't you going to be partnered with this person for a long time? Why does that matter? You know what I'm saying? So I wonder that's a psychology thing, I think, of like exactly. being equal. Yeah. It's exactly right. And if you're wanting a, a relationship of intimacy, I would argue it's not based upon who makes more money. So who can make, who can have the last say, if, if that's where the relationship is going, where I make more, therefore I have the right, to make this choice, then you're already in trouble. Yeah. So the sooner you can vet that and put that on the table and say, nah, there's multiple reasons why an individual may earn more than someone else. And so I won't go down that rat hole, but the bottom line is, is you're saying we're creating a partnership. What are we, what are we passionate about together Mm -hmm. that, that we're both going to contribute towards and and collectively respect that. Yeah, and well, I, so it, it does mean ego on the, on the shelf a little bit if yeah. you if you truly think the idea of, of intimacy. Well, and you know, I I've talked with this about folks because I, I kind of you know have been in a similar situation, so have some perspective on it. But like, if you take yourself out of it, of like the relationship, intimacy, all that, and think like think you're like tech founders, 
of a, you know, some hot startup or something, right? It's the same thing you just mentioned. You can insert that same equation as like, you have to have the vision together. The, the responsibility, if one person is doing all the work and the other isn't, well, then of course it's not going to work. You know, like what are the shared responsibilities? They may be different, but the vision, the forward focus has to be similar or you're never going to agree yep. on anything, you know? So it's, you can, it, for, I, I don't know if, again, if you agree, you're shaking your head. So maybe you agree, like for folks that are in that pickle, take yourself out of the equation and think of it like you're starting a business. How would you do it? We well, do it the same way. You have to be all in. Exactly. Now it doesn't mean you exactly. don't have, doesn't mean you don't have a prenup or agreement in if things go sour that we, I don't know if we want to get into that today, but at least being able to have the discussions of this is an important decision because of where we're going together, you know? Yeah, no, that's right. And, and I can't tell you, Brian, just, it, it just brings such joy to me when I see a couple that are now on the same page and just how easy it is for them to make decisions because they have that vision. And then what I bring in, which is unique for cash map, is I'm just simply now bringing one more element, and that is, is actually two elements. One is enabling people to capture their current spending. Two, for the first time, them being able to answer a few questions and see what the impact if they repeatedly do what they say they are going to do over what that will mean in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years in their financial picture, and then third, showing them how to utilize a routine daily system that banks use all the time for their benefit, and now they can use it for their benefit to accelerate getting what's important to them. And that's back to that question that I told you I was somebody posed to me was how can you pay off a mortgage in half the time without changing your spending and the interest rate doesn't matter that's simply leveraging a bank tool that we've not been taught and when you put it to work it is phenomenal what the power of compounding would do so let, let's start there because, yeah, I was intrigued to chat with you about this a little bit. So let, let's just first base level. Why is that not being taught? What's the, oh, I mean, I can come up with well, many reasons, but. It's a real simple one. Um, and before I say that, I, I have to tell this to, to, you know, I have to share this one with you. Did you know that charging interest is a relatively new phenomenon? I did not know that. When did uh, that start? How, how long ago? Early 1700s. Prior to that, let's say in, if you were in England and you wanted to, to you know, be able to afford to build a house, you got together with some of the folks that were in your neighborhood or whoever you wanted. Everybody agreed to put money in. In Hawaii, we call that a hui. Kind of put it all in one big pot. Everybody kept paying until everybody had a house. There was no interest. Hmm. The Catholic Church in those days, of course, Church of England kind of took that role, but it was if you charge somebody interest, you are condemned to eternal hell. And if you happened to die while you were lending somebody money, the crown took all your possessions because you were charging somebody interest. Interesting. Charging interest was a big no-no. 
So, of course, this whole thing, they, in England, they were called building societies. Um, the other interesting thing to note with a mortgage is how things change with time is that, again, in England, the typical time before foreclosure happened was 20 years. Hmm. 20 years before somebody would come and take your house if you didn't pay, pay a bill. Now, why did it change? Well, in England's a small little island, right? And so when they moved to the New World between the Caribbean and to North America, and that includes Canada, all of a sudden they had a need for capital that they had never had before. Well, the creditors, in it, they weren't liquid enough. So what's one of the first things they did? Parliament passed the law shortening the foreclosure period, brought it all the way down to three and four months. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of why we are where we are today. It was all about the capital. And so just understanding that to answer your question, banks make money by charging fees and charging interest. That's the revenue model. So why are they going to teach you how to use their system or how to pay less interest? Oh, that's a fair. Yeah, that's a that's a fair. Well, I just I heard something and it was in passing. So don't no one quote me on the numbers here. Don't beat me up over. It, but I think it was like something like banks last year, were like made like eight billion dollars in late fees or something like that. It was some some crazy, some oh, astronomical right. number I was like, what? OK, that's weird. Yeah. But yeah. And, and late fees are literally just that. Right. A late fee. Yeah. So. Uh, so there are habits and things that we do that we just kind of fall into not knowing we actually have an alternative, but the bank's not going to bring it up because it's not in their interest to bring it up. And, and actually in all fairness to the bank employees, they're not taught it themselves. And so that was my big aha when I, after I heard this and then I started investigating it and then I had a customer who had he had been crushed by a crane construction crane they didn't, they didn't think he was going to live let alone walk again and he ended up declaring bankruptcy because of the medical bills just being so big and so he wanted to refinance his house and so he applied at US Bank and which is kind of standard underwriting because he had had a bankruptcy within seven years. They declined him. And so then he came to me, to me and they said, well, what can you do about it? So I went to our regional bank and here in the Northwest, there's a bank called Banner Bank. And I went into my local branch manager, my banker, her name is Mary Kay. And I explained the situation. I showed her what, I had created so that this guy could pay off his debt in half the time. He was really intrigued. And she actually took my work with his application, sent it into the underwriters, and they actually gave him more money than he'd asked for. Mm -hmm. And he was like loyal to that bank forever. 
But her comment to me was, Dennis, I've been in this business for 25 years. We all know about the average daily balance. It's in all the agreements and the way that either we pay interest or we charge interest. But we never taught the implications as relates to how we manage our money and the impact that that can have. And uh, once she saw it, she ended up using CashMap herself on paying off the mortgage on her own home. Mm. And, it, and it was just a small little tweak that she ended up having to make. But it had a compounding impact. And um, it was really sweet. Now, could this is this anyone that has a mortgage? Is this someone that's looking to refine it? Give me, give me a, a scenario that you see the most and maybe some of the, the, the hot button points, I guess, they should be looking at. Well, it's what, what we're doing, it, it, it actually can be used. Um, well, let me, let me explain what we're doing. We're using, we're teaching people to use a very small line of credit to build wealth. And how do we do that? We're using income to, in effect, create or to use the bank's money and pay, pay interest, such a small amount of interest, that the banks would never knowingly give you that opportunity to do. So it's in effect like creating for yourself a one and a half, one to one and a half percent loan. And if you could assure yourself a one to one and a half percent loan, mm -hmm. what would you do with it? There's all kinds of things you could do with it, but you never think of it in that in that in that frame of reference of being able to do something like that. And that's why that's kind of what I figured out to do it safely in small little uh, chunks, so that uh, you're not putting your your finances at risk so and, what you're saying so just to clarify if your mind does it, so what you're saying so i have a 2.75 percent interest rate on my house my mortgage or whatever mm -hmm. however you would say it you're saying by going through this method in effect it almost can lower that to your you're using one and a half or 1.25 whatever it ends up being but you could lower it just by how you're paying off the mortgage or at the, yep. is that right? Yep. Yep. Interesting. Exactly. Okay. And, um, and we're, we're doing it one of two ways. Um, so have you ever, have you ever worked with a line of credit before? Yeah, I have worked with a line of credit many years ago. Um, I mean, is a mortgage a line of credit? Um, that's a very dumb question to ask. Is that considered a line of credit or is that something totally different? Like when you get money, because obviously they're giving you money, but a line of credit is just, hey, you have X amount of dollars, you have to pay it back in X amount of years. Is that what you consider a line of credit? Or Yeah, a line of credit is the bank basically saying, we're going to give you access to X amount of dollars. And we're only going to charge you based on what you use. Okay, right. So, okay. So think of a line of credit like, like your checking account that you can take money out, you can put it back. You can take it out, you can put it back. Now, here's what most people do when they use a line of credit. They take money off the line of credit and then they're going to use it for whatever they're going to use it for, right? Mm -hmm. Then they wait for the bank to build them. Well, that's the worst possible thing you can do. Because what people forget, meanwhile, what they're doing is their money is sitting in their checking account. 
and it's sitting there doing nothing. The bank's not paying you anything. And meanwhile, you're racking up interest costs on this line of credit, forgetting that there's one simple little approach you could take. You could take your money and as you get paid and move it all into the line of credit, like a one big loan payment. Hmm. And when you do that, you drop the outstanding balance that you're owed, right? Now, people say, well, I don't have any money. Ah, oh, you do, because the line of credit, I can take it back out again. So when it's time to pay my bills, and so what we do in my family, we reschedule all the timing of paying our bills near the end of the month. So now we have our income sitting in this line of credit, keeping the balance low all month long, and then near the last day of the month, I just take a withdrawal from the line of credit, put it back into my my checking account, and pay my bills like I normally would. So by doing that, I am two things. We're paying bills one time during the month. Second, I now have my money working for me, so I'm paying the bank dramatically less interest. Third, I am take, I'm actually using the line of credit to get rid of other high-costing debt, so I'm accelerating paying it off, and I'm taking no risk. Okay, so let me let, let me try to decipher this in my weird brain how it's flowing. So you get a line of credit. Let's just use any number. Let's say it's $50,000. $50,000 line of credit. You're using that to pay off your debt. I do it in just small chunks. Small so chunks, to okay. To your point, I would not take the full 50000 Why? Okay. Remember the beginning part of our conversation on risk? Yeah. Okay. One of the worst things that we do as people is to think that good conditions we have now will not change. Something can happen suddenly. So we, depending upon how much you earn and how much money you have left after you pay your bills, the software that I created tells you how much to take of that $50,000 line of credit and to use it safely to retire debt in small chunks. And mm. by doing that, if it happens, it's okay. I'm not in a high-risk situation. Okay, so you're... I'm, I, I can adjust. Okay, so you're taking the line of credit, you're only taking small chunks, and then the goal is obviously you're paying that back by right at the end of the month, basically. In, um, in 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 simple terms for what we can get into today. In simple terms, yeah. But the big thing that we're doing different is two things. Number one, we have money left after we pay our bills every month. So back to the beginning of our conversation. Right. Most people don't know how much they're spending. Right. I I I can think of probably only one person I've worked with who actually knew how much money they have left every month after they pay their bills. The software shows you that. Second, 
Most people don't realize that when we leave money sitting in a checking account, here's how the banks make their money. They use our balances as collateral to borrow up to 20 times the balance. So the banks are borrowing to make money. And so when they make money off of using our money, they are just being tremendously generous and paying us 0.1% for the use of our money. The wonderful model. <laughs> so I'm saying, if they figure it out, why can't I do that too? And instead, put my money to work instead of leaving my income sitting doing nothing in a checking account, I can take a small line of credit and do the same thing to accelerate, to achieve what's most important to me. Hmm. And that's what that guy was telling me. He was telling me, I'm showing you how to put your money to work. And by putting your money to work, you will pay half as much interest that you otherwise would pay. And you don't even have to change your spending. And, oh, by the way, Brian, once you see what, you're, what is possible, you will now ask another question. What if I made more money? What if I had additional cash left after I paid my bills? What would it look like then? Oh, and, you know, eating out or whatever else it is that I like to do, what if I just scaled back that a little bit? What would the effect be? And when people see it, it blows them away. They had no idea that they had so many other options looking forward because there is no software at this point that allows people to take their current spending and see the future of what they could achieve, starting with what's your current spending, and then you change the picture, and then you can see how much faster you can get there. And that's what that's the software that I created. That's my coaching class. That's what I walk people through. So that when they're done, they are blown away. They're motivated, budgeting, but I don't tell them that. And and they're just they're absolutely thrilled, and their and their relationships are better because for the first time the spender they can see what they're gonna get by not spending, and the saver all of a sudden has a focal point of what they're gonna spend that they didn't know before, and now they're on the same page. That sounds really intriguing. So so if someone wants to go check this out, like where do they? Where do they get the software? How do they check out? How do they want to learn? If they want to learn more about this whole approach? A um, couple things, a couple ways. Um, the app you can download for free. And I have a deal going now, which is you can pay $5 and have a full 30-day use of the application before you lock into a permanent subscription. The application is called CashMap, D-A-S-H-M-A-P. It's available both in the Apple Store as well as in Google Play for the Android environment. Um, my my uh, email, my uh, website is is cashmapapp.com, so you can see more and what's behind it there. You can also book a time to connect with me at bookatimewithdennis.com. 
and you'll get access to my calendar, which we can talk about it some more. And then I, um, I, I, I launched regular um, um, uh, eight-week coaching programs in which I walk people through the basics of what we're talking about till very end where they actually can see their scenario, what it looks like. They can tweak it and tailor make it for themselves and know exactly where it's going to get them. And that's in effect what I do for an eight week coaching class. We meet once a week for an hour and a half to two hours. Um, and so when you're done, it's lifetime coaching and you can check in for updates of where you are and you will find it is amazingly easy and powerful, but it's something the bank's never taught us. Mm. Well, I might have to have you back for a part two down the road, talk about, you know, cause one thing is we don't have time to get into, but like inflation, you know, which I'm learning a lot about now, which is crazy. If that money sits in your checking account, as you're saying, you're actually losing money over time. We can get into that. Maybe we can get investing stuff. So um, any final parting words, thoughts, insights for the audience um, that you'd like to share before we uh, part ways? Um, on my website, I have a, it's a freebie. It's called These Are My Dreams. People can go and download that. And, and again, I, I walk people through it as part of the coaching class. But um, you, you can grab that. And again, I would simply challenge your listeners to answer this question. What are the things that will bring you the greatest joy in the next 5, 10, 15 years, enabling you to begin bringing your future into your present? I also do a webinar as well. Um, it's free, live webinar. So you can certainly register for that at the same time. But those are, so those are a couple of things that folks can do. Um, and again, downloading CashMap is also free as well. Awesome, Dad. This is a lot of good insight here. I took too many notes. Uh, so I'll, I'll put everything in the show notes, let everyone know where they could reach you. And, uh, and I certainly appreciate you coming on and, uh, and sharing more of your journey and, and how you can help people get started from a finance standpoint. It is so much fun, Brian. There's nothing better than to see a smile on people's face when they actually see a light that they never saw before. Hey everyone, just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, if you go to my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianandreco.com forward slash subscribe, if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.